Let's look in the book of Proverbs tonight. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. And no, we're not going to preach about a virtuous woman tonight, although there is plenty to preach about as far as a virtuous woman. This is a really wonderful chapter. I'm not a woman in any way, shape, or form. I'm not confused about that. But I, I, do, I do get a lot of help reading through Proverbs 31. Uh, there's a lot to be said about virtue. There's a lot to be said about being busy, about being active. And that is exactly what this woman is here in Proverbs 31. She is a, she's a virtuous woman. Obviously, that's what the Bible says in verse 10. And then when you go on and read through the rest of the chapter, she's always doing something. She's always got something going on. She's a very industrious woman. And that is really largely what virtue deals with. It, it's, uh, virtue is, uh, how could I say it? It's really strength. It's really power. The, the Bible says that there was a day where the Lord was walking through a crowd and a woman reached up and grabbed him and touched him by the hem of the garment. And when she did that, the Bible said that the Lord, he turned around and said, who touched me? He said, because he perceived that virtue had gone out of him. And of course, all the disciples, you know, Lord, you're in a big crowd. People are constantly bumping into you. And that, that's actually when he said, well, no, this was different. He said, I perceive virtue uh, went out from me. And that's a, it's a power. There's a, there's a force there behind it. And that is really what virtue is about. The Bible says, add to your faith virtue in 2 Peter chapter 1. Add to your faith virtue. Your faith should have a, uh, your faith, not your face, your faith should have a force to it. It should have a force to it. There should be something behind your faith. And a lot of folks have faith. They believe. They've trusted Christ as their Savior. But there's no force behind what they believe. And as soon as you get saved, as soon as you start believing, as soon as you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins, He was buried, He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, you need to start uh, contributing something as far as, and I say contributing, there needs to be a force behind what you believe. And let me just cut to the chase and say, you say, well, how, how do we do that? How do we add uh, virtue to faith? How do we add that force to what we believe? Get busy. And that's what you find in Proverbs 31. You find a woman who's got virtue. She is a virtuous woman and she's busy. She's doing something. And so there's a, there's a power to her life. W wouldn't you say that there's a power to this gal's life? There's, I mean, any woman that'll get up and make biscuits in the morning with uh, sausage gravy and scrambled eggs. And uh, you didn't know that's in there, didn't you? Y'all got real quiet as though I was reading a different Bible. That's not the NIV. That's in there. You just have to read between the lines. Uh, but anyway, it's a woman that'll get up. The Bible says that she provides for her household. The Bible says she gets up before dark. You know, she does all those things. Well, a woman that'll do that, she's got a force. She's got a force to her life. And listen, if you want to have a force to your life, you've got to get busy. But that's a different sermon for a different time. What I do want to uh, draw your attention to is right here in verse 26. Well, I tell you what, since I've done talked about all that, let's just go ahead and read the good portion of the chapter. Let's start in verse 10, Proverbs 31, and we'll read through here. Let's pray before we get started. Lord, we do thank you, God, for your goodness to us tonight. Thank you, Lord, God, for your people being here. God, it's good to see folks, Lord, come to your house on Wednesday night. And Lord, I pray that they'd not come, not have come in vain, but Lord, I pray that you'd help them, God, and speak to their hearts and deal with them. God, help me, Lord, to be clear in what I'm saying, God. And uh, Lord, I pray, God, that you just meet with us tonight. Have your will and way. God, pray that you'd, uh, God, break chains of bondage tonight. Lord, pray that you'd open people's minds, God, and help us to see, Lord, what you want us to see. God, I know, Lord, if there's any uh, help to be had, God, it's going to come from you. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit. It'll come from your book. And God, Lord, we lean on you. God, tonight we trust to you. And Lord, I ask you to help us, God. We totally depended upon you. And we thank you, Lord, for everything that's said to you. Glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Proverbs 31, look at verse 10. The Bible said, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maiden. See, it's right there. You thought I was just making that stuff up. I see biscuits and gravy all in that verse. 
But anyways, I see biscuits and gravy in all kinds of places. Verse 16, she considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her, holds, her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She's prepared. She's ready. She doesn't, she's not a reactionary. She's proactive. That'll preach right there. Verse 22, she maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. Now this is really what I'm driving at tonight. Uh, this is what I want you to see. The Bible says she openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. In her tongue is the law of kindness. What is that law? What, what's a law? What, what is a law? You think of laws as far as uh, somebody getting out on the highway out here and the law is you go uh, 55 miles an hour on Highway 40 uh, unless a cop isn't around. Because if a cop's around, you know, you're going to get caught if you go any faster than that. But that's not really a law. A law is really a, it's a, it's like the law of gravity or the law of thermodynamics. Those are, those are laws. But I want you to notice here, she's, the Bible says she openeth her mouth. First of all, she says she, open, she openeth her mouth. <laughs> we could stop right there and preach about that. A lot of folks open their mouth, don't they? And that's not just limited to women. There's a lot of, lot of fellas, boy, that that's all they do. They just, they open their mouth. And there is a lot of ladies that that's all they do. But this lady, when she opens her mouth, she opens her mouth with wisdom. And I, I hope that's what you want to open your mouth with. There's nothing wrong. There, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with talking. Did you know that? That people have to talk in order to get along with folks. Would you like to sit next to somebody that never says anything? Maybe some of you, that would be paradise. But I tell you, if I sat next to my wife and my wife never said anything, I'd think she's mad at me. If I came to church and nobody ever talked to me at church, I'd think they was mad at me. He said, Brother Nathan, you shouldn't think that. <laughs> Pray for me. I'm not that spiritual. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I really personally don't like to talk to a whole lot of folks because I'm such an introvert. And I do my best to get over that. I don't do a very good job of that. But I'm doing my best to step into the role of a pastor. I've been here, I think, four years. And, uh, boy, I'm doing my best to try and get over that because people, people are that way. If you don't talk to them, they think, well, he don't like me. No, it's not the case. I'm just stupid. I'm weird. Uh, ain't that, ain't, well, I was going to say, ain't that true? Don't, don't say anything. Don't say, ain't that. Don't say, man, just hush your mouth out. I'll, I'll say it and we'll leave it at that. But this gal, she opens her mouth with wisdom. And then it turns right around and it says, and in her tongue is a law of kindness. Now, what you got right there in that verse is really a, a double, it's a statement of the same thing. Proverbs does that a lot. If you've ever read through the book of Proverbs a couple of times, you notice that there's a lot of these statements where uh, the writer, whoever's writing at the time, it's, the book is written by Solomon, but there, you get to one section, I believe it's chapter 25, and it says these are the Proverbs that Solomon copied out that were from King Hezekiah. So that's what I mean when I say the writer, whoever it may be. Well, when Solomon goes through here and he writes these things, a lot of times he'll make a statement and then he'll turn around and he'll make the same statement, but he rephrases the thing. He almost, and if you're not paying attention, it's almost like, well, he's making two different statements. But if you go back and you read it and you think about it, well, he's really saying the same thing. And I'm not going to give you an example of one of those, but, but what we're looking at, that's what you're looking at there in verse 26. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. And so wisdom really is that, that law of kindness. I believe that, and I'm going to try and show that to you the best I can from the Scripture. Uh, kindness this day and time, and I've mentioned this several, several times here in this pulpit over the course of probably six months or so. Kindness is really, uh, it's, it's brought down to a, a meager level of niceness. Uh, you've got to be nice. In other words, and what people mean when they say being nice or being kind, what they really mean, what they're really talking about is you can't say anything that's offensive to anybody. Don't say anything that will rock the boat. 
Don't be of the persuasion uh, that you have to say anything disagreeable to anybody. Uh, how many of you had mamas and daddies that gave you good raisins? Let me see your hand. I had a mom and daddy that gave me a good raisin. And one of the things that they taught me was there's sometimes that it's just better to keep your opinion to yourself. And that is true. I'm not going to disagree with that at all because that's very true. But there is a time to where you have to take what you think is your opinion because it's not your opinion, it's the truth. And you really need to take it and you need to give it out. You need to say something. You really need to say something. Well, what, what the world will do, and it don't even have to be the world, and it don't have to be the devil, what your flesh will do, what your flesh will do to you is it will take that raisin that you had and say, oh, you couldn't possibly say something like that because that's mean. And that's largely what you hear being pushed in the news media. And that's, that's even what you hear, unfortunately, being pushed across by some preachers and uh, just all kinds of stuff. People are just, they're of this persuasion. Listen, they're of this persuasion that if you say anything that makes anybody leave a church, well, you couldn't possibly be a kind preacher. And listen... I'm not going to eat alive. I'm going to do my best not to eat alive those preachers. But what I want to do is I want to try to do my best tonight to give you the ammunition that you need. I want to give you the information. Arm yourself with the information that you need to understand that that is not true. That is really not true. If you say something to disagreeable to somebody, that does not mean that you're unkind. Let me, let, me, let me recall something to your mind. Some of you weren't here when this took place. And listen, don't pass out and fall into the floor. But Mike Easter stood behind this, this place, this uh, pulpit one time, and he said that Miss Ruth, uh, he, he and Miss Ruth have a peculiar relationship, and it's not a bad relationship, I don't believe, but I, this is just an illustration that came to mind. He told Miss Ruth one time, hey, you're getting a little weight on, you need to lose some weight. And he, he made that statement from this pulpit, and when he made that statement from this pulpit, there was folks sitting out in the congregation who just about had a cow that he would dare say something like that. And you know why they had a cow about that? It's because they think that if you say something like that to your wife, you're being unkind. And that's stupid. That's not true. Now, you could, you could say it in a uh, very untactful, uncouth way, and it would be unkind. But, you know, there's a verse, and I, I wish I'd have wrote it down, but I believe it's in the book of Psalms, and I believe it's David that's writing the psalm. He says, smite me, and it'll be a kindness. It'll be oil to my head. How, I'd love for somebody to come tell me that. Hey, smite me, and it'll be a kindness. Pow! <laughs> uh, that'd, be the, that'd be the excuse that some of you fellows would just love to hear. Uh, that's what he said, though. Well, you say something that's not nice, you couldn't possibly be being kind. Well, I guess that depends on your definition of kind or kindness. If what you think is the, is the term kindness means uh, always being nice, be nice now, play nice. You heard your mom and your daddy, well, probably not your daddy because your daddy probably didn't care nothing about that. But your mama probably did, didn't she? Be nice, be nice, don't say that, don't do that, be nice. And so now you've come up in, in a society that's been raised by mothers. Daddy has been absent for so long. Listen, whether we like that or not, that's, that's what's going on. Let me just take a break right here and let me just say something. I was reading a news article this past week that was talking about all these transgender people, all, particularly males that are identifying as females. And it said there's this independent organization that did a study not on the transgender people, but on their mothers, on the mothers of the boys that were identifying as females. And you know what they found? They found that something like 80-some percent of those mothers were, were diagnosed with clinical depression. You say, where's all these transgender boys coming from? It's coming from mothers that are messed up in their head. And it goes on in that study to say a lot of what the depression was about was that these, these gals are looking for some kind of validation and the only place that they can find it from is a daughter. And they didn't get, they didn't get a daughter, they got a son. I was listening to one of these mothers, I think it was in Louisiana State House, she was saying, I know that my boy was born 
was supposed to be a girl because of his food preferences. He likes vegetables. People have lost their mind. People, people are stupid. Uh, but anyways, well, see, what you've got is you've got a society that's raised by mama. You've got a society that's raised by mama. And so if there's anything that's disagreeable that's ever put out, then, my soul, you couldn't possibly be right about what you're saying. But you know, you know if you've been reading your Bible at all, you know if you've been listening to any kind of real preaching at all, and I, I meant exactly what I said, real preaching. If you've been listening to any kind of real preaching at all, you know that most often right preaching rubs people the wrong way. That's not the goal that it has, but that's what it does because the truth goes against human nature because men, people, man, men are messed up. People are, people, people are a mess. It's not just Americans. It's not just white people. It's not just black people or, or Hispanics or uh, Pacific Islanders. People. Man is a mess. That's why it has to be saved. And so when you preach the truth, it's naturally going to rub people the wrong way. Well, when you, have, when you live in a society to where the thing that's constantly be asserted is be nice, be nice, be nice, be nice, then what becomes the ultimate virtue in life is being nice. Hey, did you go hear so-and-so preach? No, I ain't never heard him preach. Well, man, they're an awesome preacher. Well, what makes them such a good preacher? Well, they're, they're so nice. You may not have heard it in those terms, but you've heard something like that. Uh, I think, Brother, Brother Nathan, I think we're going to leave people's, and we're, I've never had this happen. I'm just using it as an example. Brother Nathan, I think we're going to go down to such and such a church. Well, you know, they don't believe right down there. Well, we know. Well, why are you going? Well, the pastor down there is so nice. You say people won't do that. They've done it over and over again. I, I, I have yet to have it happen in this church to me personally. But I've been in church since I was born, and I've seen it happen in many churches where I've sat. The, the, the basis for people picking a church is because the people down there are nice. And I, praise the Lord if they are. This church, I think, has a reputation, uh, with, maybe with the exception of the preachers, but it has a reputation of being a friendly church. When folks come in, they're usually greeted and, you know, folks talk to them. That's all well and good, but that is not the ultimate virtue. It's not the ultimate virtue. Uh, people have a problem. People have a problem taking little, uh, little preferences. And I don't know how else to say it, but they take little preferences and they elevate those things to a place of superior prominence above biblical truth. Let, let me give you an example of that. I, I mentioned this, I think, on Sunday. But the Lord was sitting down to eat one day with his disciples and the Pharisees were there and they said, they came and tapped Jesus on the shoulder and they said, hey, you don't wash your hands before you eat. And the Lord didn't even think twice about it. He said, well, you guys are dishonoring. He said, you, you got this stupid little rule, rule that people have to wash their hands because you got that from the elders. You didn't get that from the Bible. Did you know that in the Bible there's no rule that you have to wash your hands? Amen. Hey, it, it's good to wash your hands before you eat. I make my kids wash their hands before they eat. Nasty. We have chickens. They wash their hands before they eat. Amen. I think some of you need to have chickens to understand what I'm talking about. Chickens are nasty birds. They are disgusting creatures. Kids get out there and... Ho my wife gets out there. <laughs> Go take a shower. <laughs> nasty. They're nasty birds. Uh, they're cute when they're little babies, but once they get to where they're starting to peck each other, man, they're disgusting. I have no, no concept of cleanliness. Here's these, there's no commandment in the Bible. I distracted myself there a little bit. There's no commandment in the Bible to wash your hands. Well, isn't it good? Sure, it's good. But you're going to hold people to that because it's just something that you want them to do? Because it's a part of your culture? And I, listen, I'm not saying, listen... Let me, let me be very clear about this. Somebody sit down at your dinner table, you know, so you take somebody under, their, under your wing and, you know, you're trying to help them out. If, you know, somebody's sitting down at your dinner table and you say, hey, wash your hands and they say no, okay, then don't eat. Yeah. 
I mean, that's, it's your house. You have the liberty to do that. All I'm saying is what happens is people elevate that to a place to where you have, you have to wash your hands if you want to be spiritual. Mm, no, not necessarily. That, that's not, it's polite. It's maybe a good thing to do, but you're not bound by scripture to do something like that. And people get to the place, then you get to a place, you know, preachers, you got to wear a white shirt to preach. And you know, you can't have sideburns when you preach. I got chewed out one time by a fellow who had never pastored a church and he didn't know nothing. He came to me and said, you need to shave off your sideburns. That's worldly brother. I said, well, I had a preacher who grew sideburns and I grew my sideburns because the preacher did. Brother Mike told me to shave my, or he didn't tell me to shave my sideburns. He, he mentioned something to me about my sideburns one time. I went home and I shaved them off. You say, why? Because he was my pastor. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't too attached to him. And then I let him grow back out. I just wanted to make sure that I, I could still submit to a pastor. Yes, sir. But some little fella that's never pastored a church, you should cut those off because, uh, chapter and verse, I, I'm, I, listen, I'm not saying, listen, listen, if you grew sideburns because you saw it on uh, TV, some movie star grow a sideburns, then you should probably shave them off. Hey, we have fellas sitting in here that have beards. Brother Clint's not here. He's probably working. But Brother Curtis, I'm not trying to embarrass these fellas. But hey, if y'all grew, grew beards because of Duck Dynasty, y'all should probably cut them off. I mean that. I mean that with all my heart. Listen, if you're growing a beard because Robert E. Lee had a beard, you should probably keep it. <laughs> I mean that with all my heart. That's a fine Christian man. The more I read about Robert E. Lee, he's a fine Christian fellow. Hey, if you grew a beard because you saw a preacher, hey, help yourself. Hey, Amen. I have no idea where that came from. What I'm talking about is people are elevating this idea of you have to do this, this, and this in order to be spiritual. And what it, it's, it's politeness, it's manners, and you've got to do this in order to be spiritual. Well, you better be careful about that. You better be very cautious about those things because that is largely what's going on in society right now. You have to be nice. Well, uh, 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 who, who makes up the definition of nice and kind? You see the problem? Now it's my word against yours. So what we've got to do is we've got to establish what the term kindness means. What does it mean? What does it mean? And we'll get there here in just a second. But uh, let me say this. Kindness is not flattery. Being kind to somebody is not flattery. Did you know that? Just saying what somebody wants to hear is not being kind to them. Uh, there's, there are... Two prominent women, if you will, in the book of Proverbs. One is in Proverbs 5 and 7. And she is referred to over and over again as a strange woman. And then there's another woman who shows up, and I believe she's Proverbs chapter 8. Let me turn there so I make sure I'm telling you right. Proverbs 8 and 9. And her name is Wisdom. And that, that, that woman, that strange woman, she has one particular characteristic about her. You know what that characteristic is? She flatters. She tells somebody what it is that they want to hear so she can get her way. That, that's basically flattery. It's for personal advantage. It's for personal gain. She might mean it. She might not. That's not the point. The point is she has an ulterior motive. It's not just coming to somebody and saying, hey, that's a nice shirt. Or, hey, you know, you're really smart about algebra. Or, you know, you can really do this. Very... That's not what's going on. What's going on is this gal is trying to do something. She's saying something with a motive in her heart so that she can get something in exchange. Oh, boy, that, boy that, that don't just fit to women, man. That fits to people. A lot of people say things to you so that they can get something out of you. That's why the used car salesman comes up to you, and as soon as he sees you, he tries to find something about you that he can identify with and start talking and bragging about it. It's so that he can establish that instant rapport and make a sale. He couldn't give a rip about the fact that if you drive the car off the lot, it's going to break five miles down the road. That's the warranty's problem. That's the guys in the mechanic shop problem. His problem is just getting a commission. 
And so he'll use flattery if that's what's necessary in order to get that personal gain. Well, many a fella, many a woman, many a church member, many a pastor has traded and a legitimate relationship with wisdom for an illicit relationship with flattery. What makes the emergent church so popular? You say, what's the emergent church? All this contemporary church stuff. What makes that so popular? I'll tell you what makes it so popular. Preachers are really good. Those kind of preachers are really good at telling people what they want to hear about themselves. You're so awesome. You can make it. You can do it. Hey, I got news for you. You can't do it. You can't make it. Try it. And we'll watch it fall flat on your face. That's why you need the grace of God. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need God's book. That's why you need the church. Yes, sir. God's given you all kinds of things to help you make it. You're not going to do it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. God has given you crutches. To make it through this life. God's given you those things. Oh, you're just using the church for a crutch. Yes. You're using the Bible for a crutch. Yes. Using prayer for a crutch. Yes. I'm crippled. My name is Mephibosheth for all intents and purposes. Yes, sir. King David had to come get me out of God's wash pot. That's Lodabar. Yes, sir. Well, that's not what people want to hear. People would rather hear, well, I'm so great, I'm so wonderful, all this kind of stuff. And what they're really falling in love with, flattery. That's not kindness. That's, that's not kindness at all. Hold your place in Proverbs 31 and let's look in Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. And look in verse 30. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The Bible says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is kind. Did I read it right? But if you ask the average Christian, that's what they'll tell you. You can't win them without kindness, Brother Nathan. Listen to the average soul winning seminar. You go down to their house, and you treat it very similar to similar to the description that I just gave you of the used car salesman trying to sell you a vehicle. Find something that you can establish instant rapport and then you can make a sale. I mean, win them to Christ. That's not what it says, though. It says, it doesn't say he that winneth souls is kind. It says he that winneth souls is wise. You know what you have to have in order to win people? You've got to have wisdom. You've got to have wisdom. Kindness might win somebody, but it's not going to win them to the truth. It might win them to you. Ain't that right? Hey, if I came and I gave you $1,000, just right now pulled $1,000 out of my wallet and handed it to you, cash, greenbacks, you don't have to cash it, nothing, just Gave it right to you. Me and you would be good friends for a little while. Yes, sir. We'd be good friends. But that didn't straighten his life out. It didn't do anything for him. Yes, sir. I'll apply it to the church. We're going to go down to Haiti, and we're going to give all these people bottled water, and we're going to build them houses, and we're going to do all that stuff. Hey, that's all well and good. If that's what you want to do, that's all well and good. You're not going to win them to the truth that way. You're not going to win them to the truth that way. What they'll do is they'll stand there. And it's not because they're black. It's because they're people. It's because they're people. If you go to Saudi Arabia and do this very same thing, they will have the same reaction unless you tell them that you're a Christian. Then they'll try to kill you because they're stupid. But anyways... They got sense enough to realize their religion stinks. And that's why they're in the condition that they're in. Haiti's the same way. But what happens is, is you hand out and hand out and hand out and hand out and hand out. And people will stand there with open hands and take it and take it and take it and take it and take it. And you're thinking, man, I'm really winning these people over. But what you're creating is you're creating a monster. You're creating a greedy grubby little person that all they know how to do is take and take and take and take. 
And you think this is a great kindness I'm doing them, but you haven't won them to anything. You've convinced them that you have a lot of money. Go to Papua New Guinea or go to the Philippines. And you know what those people have in their minds about Americans? They see you light skin, blue eyes, hear you speak English, money. I'm not saying everybody thinks that way in those places, but that's, that is the idea. Why? Because Americans largely have gone over to those places and just thrown their money around. Some of them are doing it, but they're flaunting it, but a lot of folks are doing it because, hey, I'm trying to be kind. And praise the Lord that you have such a generous heart if that's what you're doing, but you're not winning those people. You don't win people with kindness. You win them with wisdom. You win them with wisdom. He that winneth souls. Who's the guy that's going to win people? He that winneth souls is wise. It's the wise man that wins souls. Look, uh, hold your place still in Proverbs chapter 31 and go over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. Let me show you. Acts chapter 6 and look in verse 1. We'll read a little bit here. Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Hey, let me, while you turn into Acts chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to read this passage to give you an illustration, but let me give you another illustration. <clears throat> Here's a rich man in hell. I believe that's Luke 16, might be 15, but I think it's Luke 16. It's one of those chapters. Here's a rich man in hell. What's his request? Abraham, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and come over here and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. According to the modern definition of kindness, wouldn't it be kind for Abraham to, hey, go take the rich man some water? Wouldn't it be kind? What happened? He didn't get his request answered, did he? No, he didn't. He didn't get his, he didn't get his request answered. Well, you know, that's not, that's not kind. Well, he had his opportunity to be one. But he, did, he didn't, hey, send, send some fellows back to go preach to my brothers. Send some fellows back to go preach to my brothers. Well, they have Moses and the prophet. Well, no, they need this great spectacular show of somebody coming back from the dead. And what's, what's Abraham telling them? Well, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe the one came back from the dead. Yes, sir. Look, look in Acts chapter 6, look in verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. You don't have to be called a preacher or a pastor to be full of the Holy Ghost. You should understand that. Every Christian can be full of the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir. Verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose, number one, Stephen. Remember him. A man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and, and uh, Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now watch what happens. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. They're arguing. Don't you like to win arguments? Don't say that you don't, you hypocrite. You want to win every argument that you're ever in. He's arguing. He's disputing. Verse 10, and they were not able to resist the kindness and the spirit by which he spake. Is that what it says? You just be nice to people, boy, and they're just going to melt. That, that's, what's, that's what's put across, ain't it? You just be nice, and boy, people are just going to grovel at your feet, and they're going to say, we know that God is with No, sir. It's not true. Yeah. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit with which he spake. 
They're sitting there throwing stuff verbally. They're sitting there throwing stuff back with Stephen. And every time Stephen opened his mouth, they go, oh. They don't let that show on their face because they got too much pride. You say, how do you know that, Brother Nathan? Because you just know people. You get in an argument with people and you're really giving it to them. And you get this blank look. You say, what's going on? They, they're not able to resist the wisdom. It's like what I dealt with in Sunday school, I think in Acts chapter 4, when these fellows came through and they healed this guy that was sick and they healed him. He was lame. They lifted him up and he leaping up walked, praising God. They healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees went in there and they grabbed him. They brought him in the, to the temple and said, by what power and what authority do you do these things? And they said, by the name of Jesus Christ, who you just crucified, but he rose from the dead. And you get down there towards the end of that whole incident, and they sitting there, you know, huddling like football fellas, football players do. And they said, man, what are we going to do? This is what they said. Surely a great miracle has been done this day, and we can say nothing against it. They can't resist. I, what are you going to say? Man, a guy just got up and just walked. He just, he'd been laying at the gates of the temple his whole life because he's lame. He, he can't walk. And these guys came by and grabbed him by the hand and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the fellow jumps up and, woo, I can walk. What are you going to say against that? You can't say nothing. They can't resist. That's what's going on with Stephen. All Stephen's do is just throwing words at him. And they can't resist. It's not because he was kind, though. It's not because he was nice. It's not because he was effeminate and made all the chicks feel good. It's because he was wise. Well, you know, if I just baby this little boy, maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll bring him around. Hey, listen, ladies, let me tell you something. Can I just tell you something? I'm not telling you not to be motherly to, to your boys. But there comes a point at which a boy almost resents mama trying to babe him all the time. There, there comes a point in time to where, and listen, as a boy grows up, as he, as he gets up, he understands, hey, some of that is just for mama's comfort. And hey, if you don't understand that that's just for mama's sake, you should understand that. And be gracious with her. Let, her. let her baby it, maybe, to some degree. But mama's sweet, affectionate kindness is not always what's going to win that boy over. A lot of times what it's going to take is it's going to take some wisdom. It might need to come from mama. It might need to come from daddy. I, that's not the argument. I'm just saying, if you think that you can whip that fella, that boy, into shape just by emotional manipulation, what you're going to raise is you're going to raise a boy that resents being raised by you. A lot, a lot of fellows have been raised to do a particular thing because this is just simply what mama said and don't you want to make mama happy? And they get out of mama's house and they don't know whether it's right or wrong because nobody ever told them whether it was right or wrong and opened the Bible and said this is why it's right. It has nothing to do with the fact that this is just mama's preferences. It's the fact that it's right. See, they're shouting back there. Y'all should be shouting. That's true. It's true. You, you, you'll, you'll raise a little boy. You might even raise a little girl. I've never been a girl, so I don't know much about that. But I, wouldn't, I, would, I would dare to say that you even raise a little girl who grows up resenting mama because mama is not really trying to win her kids with wisdom, but she's trying to win them with kindness. Hey, listen, listen to me. That's exactly what's going on in churches right now. Listen to me. It's not going on just in Southern Baptist churches. It's going on in independent Baptist churches. Preachers are standing up and they have this emotional sort of pseudo-spiritual kind of milksop attitude to where... The spirituality that's being put out there has nothing to do with any kind of substantial word of God. It just has to do with, hey, don't you want to be excited? Don't you want to be happy? Don't you want to feel good? Don't you want to come to church and shout the house down every time we're here? 
And that's what's being fed to people. And when people go home, listen, when, when people that have a brain and they think, they go home and they sit in the privacy of their own house and they say, you know, every time we go to church, we're shouting. Every time we go to church, this preacher is really having a pep rally. But we come home and we're dealing with the same stuff that we've been dealing with for the last 20 years. I guess there's not much to this church thing. And people get cold and they get bitter. And preachers are standing around scratching their heads saying, well, what's the deal? Well, you tried to win them with kindness instead of with wisdom. What we're doing in here tonight is not very, oh, but I'm trying to feed you something. I'm trying to give you something to where you can go home and say, man, this is, this is a different way to live. And listen, I believe more and more that that is more of what this generation is going to need because the flim flam is everywhere. The hype and the way up high all the time. And listen, I want things to get up high. I want people to shout. I want people to swing from the rafters. Some of you are too docile. Some of you are too subdued. But hey, I would rather, it, it gave me a great blessing. I, I'm going to just say this knowing that it's recording. It's going to go online, but I'm going to just say this. We went up to this youth rally this past week, and we had a lot of folks that were sitting there, and they came to me. There was some music that was being sung at the youth rally, and folks came up to me after the youth rally, Brother Tommy, after the services, and said, was those contemporary songs? And I said, I don't know, because I, I didn't know. I, I just didn't know. I'd never heard them before. And you know, these days, man, there's a whole lot of contemporary music uh, creeping into independent Baptist churches. I just was told this past week that there's some fundamental independent Bible-believing Baptists that are now singing, Shout to the Lord. Uh, that's a, like an 80s or 90s contemporary Christian song. Shout to the Lord, our God is an awesome God. If I called her name, about 10 of you would know who it is. Well, Brother Nathan, it was in the 80s and 90s. Surely it's okay. No, 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 no. No, we're not going that way. I don't want nothing to do with that stuff. You say, what is that? Why? Why are they doing that? Because it's always this thing of we've got to get everything way up high, way up here, and it constantly has to touch the ceiling, and people have to walk out in ecstasy. But there's one problem with that. Life ain't that way. You're going to get up, and you're going to go to work tomorrow, probably after you get in a fight with your wife. Ain't that true? That's, just, that's where people live. And so people need to understand, hey, how can I quit fighting with my wife? You don't quit fighting with your wife because you're nice. Did you know that? Ain't that true? You don't quit fighting with your spouse because you're just nice. You have to have some wisdom. Nice, maybe get you, maybe get you a peck on the cheek. But it's not going to make a good marriage. They just don't. You say, what makes a good marriage? Two people that's got some sense. They got some wisdom. Yes, sir. Well, you know, he was a jerk today. She was a jerk today. Give it about five minutes and it'll change. The wind will blow in a different direction and it'll all be okay. You say, oh, you're excusing things. Hey, man, that's life. I'm not saying that you don't have to apologize. I'm just saying fallen creatures, ain't we? Yes, sir. And if you haven't figured that out, my soul, boy, you need to, you need to figure that out in a hurry. Some of y'all have been arguing with your spouse before you came to church, ain't you? That's the only reason I'm preaching on it. I mean, I got your car bugged and your house bugged. I'm listening. To, I, I don't know. But he warned them with his wisdom. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. All right. Now, let me, let's define the term kindness. Hang with me. We're about done. Genesis 1. Go to Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I, I started to say we went up to this youth rally and some folks was singing. And I like their singing as far as them sounding good. They sound real good. But folks was coming up to me after the service. Hey, Brother Nathan, is this contemporary music? I said, I don't know. And I said, well, we didn't really feel right shouting during it because we didn't know. Hey, 
I started all that to say, I'd rather folks be that way. I'd rather folks be hesitant because, Nathan, I don't know if this is a contemporary song. Well, if you, if you think it might be and you grieved about shouting at it, sit right there in your seat until, it, until the storm passes over. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Amen. That's wisdom. That may not necessarily be nice. But it's wisdom. Okay, let's define the term kindness. Look here in verse, let's see, verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be, under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called, called he seas. And God saw that it was good. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after what? His kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after what? You know what kindness is? You think kindness is being polite or being, but one of the definitions, look it up in a dictionary. One of the definitions of kindness is it's a sort. It's a particular nature of a thing. Uh, this boy right here, uh, well, let, let, me, let me go much more general. You folks are people. As far as I know, we ain't got no aliens in here, do we? Okay, you folks are people. You're my kind. Okay, we ain't got anything except white folks in here. But if we had some black folks, it'd make the, or Mexicans or, you know, somebody of other kind, it would make this illustration so much better because I could look at the white folks and say, you're my kind. Now I can come to this boy and this boy and this gal sitting right here and I can say, they're really my kind. They're my sort. They're, as Brother Mike used to say, they're my peeps. That's true. It's, it's my kind. Well, that's what he's talking about here. So when he says the law of kindness is in her lips, she openeth her mouth with wisdom. The law of kindness is in her lips. There's wisdom attached to this concept of kindness. It's what kind are you? Right? It's, a, it's real easy. Listen, if you walk up behind somebody in a grocery store and they have their pants sagging below their butt to where you can see their drawers. Yeah. That's not your kind. Unless you wear your pants sagging below your butt to where everybody can see your drawers. Then you're of the same kind. And if I walk up behind a guy and see his drawers, I don't feel like he's being nice to me. Ain't that right? I feel like he's being unkind. Because he is. I could really go into a lot of elaborate detail there, but I'll spare you. Mixed company, so forth and so on. Doesn't that make sense? It's just not, we're not of the same kind. Decent people don't wear their pants below their butt. They just don't. They pull their pants up and they put a belt on. Nobody wants to see your drawers. Amen. Uh, well, you say, well, I just, I want to do that. Well, I've seen a lot of guys out in the prison who wanted to do that. You know what I found? They're all of the same kind. Ain't that right? I just, I just like it, man. That's because you're a thug. So I don't like a belt. Buy suspenders. Amen. What are you talking about, Brother Nathan? Kindness. I'm not talking about whether, where you wear your pants, although that is worth preaching on. But what I am talking about is your kind. It's your kind. It's your kind. Look in Matthew. Look in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And look in verse 19. I say 19. We'll probably have to read a little bit of context. But Matthew chapter 11 and look, yeah, look at verse 16. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? 
It's like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. You know, uh, somebody playing a little piccolo or a, uh, I almost said a harp. You don't play a harp with your mouth. Uh, a flute or something like that, some kind of wind instrument. And, you know, somebody dances to it. That's what he's talking about. We've mourned unto you and you have not lamented. For John, this is Jesus talking, for John came neither eating or drinking and they say, he hath a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, doing exactly opposite of what John the Baptist was doing. And they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. Look at what he says. But wisdom is justified of her children. You know what your children are? They're your kind. You know, what, you know what's going on with the Pharisees? They're not being kind to Jesus. And they weren't being kind to John the Baptist. You know why? Because they're not their kind. Look, here's John the Baptist coming and saying, you generation of vipers, and he's coming not eating, he's fasting, he's out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey, he's a stark raven madman wearing camel's hair for clothes. That guy is crazy, is what they're saying. And here comes Jesus born in a manger, and he's, he grows up in a little town that's on a seashore. It's a little fishing town, and he grows up, and he looks just like any other ordinary man, and he's preaching, and he's eating, he's drinking, he's not eating a crazy diet. But they're preaching, man, both of these individuals. Obviously, Jesus, God manifests in the flesh. I think we all understand that. But they're preaching, and the Pharisees look at this guy and say, we don't like him. Somebody's doing something different than what John the Baptist is doing, but it's the same message. We don't like him. And Jesus looks at them and says, you had, a, you had a guy do it this way and you didn't like him. You had a guy do it this way, me. You had a guy do it this way and you didn't like him. You just don't like it anyway, do you? You know, there's some people that you just can't please. It don't matter whether you preach soft or whether you preach loud or whether you teach, preach, or whether you preach like a house on fire, some folks you just can't please. The Bible says those kind of people are implacable. That's one of the signs of reprobation, by the way, in Romans chapter 1. Oh, what about all these homosexuals? What about all these folks that can't be pleased regardless of what's done? That's a sign of your mind being turned over to reprobation. Nothing makes you happy. Hey, we'll do this. Well, I don't like it. Okay, well, we'll do this. I don't like it. What do you like? Death? You want us to just shoot you and just get it all over with right now? Hmm? That's what the Lord's telling the disciples. Or not the disciples, the Pharisees. You had it this way, you didn't like it? Yeah, I got it this way, you don't like it? I just think that you're not our kind is what he told the Pharisees. He said it like this. Wisdom's justified over children. You're looking at wisdom. You were looking at wisdom. And you couldn't justify either one of them. It's because we're not your kind. She openeth her mouth with wisdom. The law of kindness is in her lips. You see what I'm saying? This gal is opening her mouth and she's saying things that are wise. She's saying things that, man, that's a wise woman right there. And that is the greatest kindness that you can give. That's the greatest kindness that you can do for somebody is being wise when you talk. It's being wise in what you say. Well, I'm just going to be nice. Well, you're probably going to send somebody to hell. You're probably going to destroy somebody's life. Listen, I know many, a grandparent has damned their children in this life and possibly in the life to come all because they wanted to be nice all the time and, re and hold back and refrain from what was wise. Many a mom and daddy's destroyed their children's life or destroyed somebody just being nice. Just want to be nice. I'm not saying you shouldn't be nice to your kids. I'm just saying niceness is not wisdom all the time. That is not what it's talking about in Proverbs 31 when it says she opens her mouth with wisdom and the law of kindness is in her lips. That's talking about a thing of when that gal talks, she's got something to say, and it's going to make you stop and think about what she's saying. And boy, if you take heed to it, man, it'll save your life. She opens her mouth and she says, the way of the transgressor is hard. Well, that's not very nice, but it's true, and if you'll take heed, it'll save you. Hey, 
That won't put you in heaven alone. That statement will not put you in heaven, but it'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, the fear of the Lord, it's not, it's not very nice. No, but it'll, it'll save your life. It'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. See? That's, that's what she's saying. Now, let me give you one last illustration. We'll close. Look in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Here's a man who asked for wisdom. God gave him a kingdom, gave him the kingdom of his daddy. David, this is Solomon here. God gave Solomon this kingdom. And Solomon offers a bunch of sacrifices one night, one day, offers a ton of sacrifices. And it gets God's attention. And God comes to him in a vision at night and says, here's a blank check. What do you want? Name your price. You got it. You can ask for anything. And Solomon says, Lord, I have no idea how to lead your people. He said, this is a great multitude of people that you've given me charge of. And he said, I'm like a little child. I don't know how to come, come in or go out. He said, would you give me an understanding heart and give me some wisdom so that I can rule your people? And God said, I'll tell you what. He said, you had the opportunity to ask me for wealth, fame, power, and peace. And he said, instead of all that, you asked me for wisdom, a wise and understanding heart. He said, because you asked me for that, he said, I'm going to give you what you asked for, and then I'm going to give you everything you didn't ask for. I'm going to give it all to you. And boy, he had it. And the first recorded instance to where Solomon has to use his wisdom that God gave to him is right here in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16 then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O oh my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also. So they both had babies, three days apart. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. She rolled over on top of it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. She switched them out. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. When I, but when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son and the dead is thy son. And this, the original woman said, no, but the dead is thy son and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, the one saith, this is my son that liveth and thy son is dead. And the other saith, nay, but thy son is dead and my son is the living. And the king said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the other said, let it neither let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. She's the mother thereof. Who did he give it to? He gave it to the woman that said, don't slay the baby. Because any woman in her right mind would not have an abortion. She would, she would have to be talked into something like that. Hey, they should, they should take every doctor who's talked, who's talked a girl under 18 or 19 years old into having an abortion. They should take every doctor and they should put them to death for being murderers. No woman. No woman. You got You said, Brother Nathan, you're running a rabbit trail. You're exactly right I'm running a rabbit trail. But listen, listen, no girl in her right mind who has a baby out of wedlock. That's wrong. That's wrong. Mom and daddy should have taught her better. She shouldn't have done the action that produced an illegitimate child. But here you got a gal that's in her mind lost. Man, what do I do? I have messed my life up. I am not ready to be a mother. And here's some greedy, creepy little doctor saying, just just get rid of it. Dispose it. Throw it in the trash. Hey, a woman in her heart, she got some kind of natural affection. 
She's got some kind of natural affection in her heart for a living child. And this gal in this passage would rather see that living child. Listen, that living child, she'd rather see that living child go to somebody who's not the actual mother than see it dead. Now, here's the problem. You got two ladies standing in front of you arguing and saying, it's mine. You're king. This one's saying it's mine. This one's saying it's mine. How do you figure that out? That's a... T hey, if I had never read this passage, I'm not sure what I'd do. That's a tough situation. This is before DNA tests. Let's take a blood sample. Hey, pull out one of her hair out of her head and we'll take it. No, man. And you've got you to do something right now. You know what Solomon has to do? He's got to figure out whose baby, that kind, the kind of that child. Well, how do you do that? Threaten its life. And immediately, boy, he brings the thing out for what it is. That's what wisdom is, by the way. Wisdom is bringing a thing out for what it is. That's what he talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. That's what the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, you're supposed to bring out the hidden things of darkness. How do you do that? Because, why do you do that? Because you're children of light. And then in that same passage, he says, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That wisdom has to do with bringing out the nature of things, showing a thing for what it is. Listen, uh, a Democrat will stand up and look at a black man and say, we want to help you, we want to help you, we want to help you. But a wise man will look up and say, well, look at all these other people that they've helped. They're all in ghettos. Yeah. Oh, well, that's not yeah. nice. No, what that is is that's a, guy showing, that's a guy showing somebody of what sort those kind of people are that say that they want to help you all the time. Yeah. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. A man that comes to you, listen to me. If you don't ever listen to anything else that I say when I'm preaching, listen to me about this. When somebody comes to you with a constant handout, they are not your friend. Amen. They're not your friend. I don't care what, what all of your buddies tell you. I don't care who tells you what. If somebody comes to you with open hands and says, I'll give you whatever you want, you better run from them as fast as you can. Yeah. They're not your buddies. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to destroy your life. Yeah. I don't care if they're wearing a suit. I don't care if they're wearing gothic clothes. I don't care what they look like. They hate you. Hey, I'll give you whatever you want. The only person, listen, the only person that you could ever take that from and know that they have your best interest at heart is the Lord Jesus Christ. But he tells you what he's going to give you. I'll give you eternal life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. That's true. What, what's he got to do? What's Solomon got to do? Well, he's got to figure out what kind these ladies are. What kind is that child? How does he do that? Threatens the child's life. And immediately what gets brought out into the open is what really is. Hey, listen. There's only one mama. There's only one. There's only one. There's only one. Yeah. Well, in this kind of a situation that Solomon's dealing with, how do we bring that out in the open? They're both fighting over the baby. Maybe it would be different if they were fighting to get rid of it. But that's not what's going on. They're both fighting for it. Well, how do we figure out? Well, we'll threaten its life. And immediately what surfaces to the top is who it really is. You say, what is that? That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Solomon professioned to cut the baby in half. Just cut the baby in half and we'll give half over here. We'll give half over here. You know what that wasn't? That wasn't nice. That was pretty mean, wasn't it? But you know what his wisdom gave? His wisdom gave an answer. Yeah. Solomon could have said, bring me out my dice. We'll just roll the dice. Or maybe he could have looked at the woman who insisted, who wasn't the mother, and, and oh no, this is my baby. This is really my baby. And he could have said, yeah, you can have it. Maybe that would have been nice to that gal. But it wouldn't have been a kindness to this one. Yeah. You see what you're getting into? 
You're in a society to where they're trying to blackball you into being nice and kind about everything and take wisdom and throw it in the trash can. And wisdom is really where the kindness is. Smite me and it'll be a kindness. You say, what's he talking about? Wisdom. Wisdom. All right. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness tonight, Lord. I, Lord, thank you. It went a little bit long, but, Lord, I thank you, God, for the attention span, God, Lord, of the folks, Lord. And I pray that what's said tonight, God, will help you people, Lord. I pray that it will establish them. And, God, help them, Lord, to understand, God, Lord, how to avoid pitfalls, God, and how to stay away from things, God, Lord, how to navigate life, Lord. And, Lord, not be blackballed into believing, Lord, that they can only be nice about everything while at the same time they're simultaneously throwing wisdom right in the trash. God, help them, Lord. I pray you'd help us. God, help us not to be deceived. God, help us, Lord, to love the truth more than we love life. God, I remember, Lord, trying to memorize a verse today. I believe it was in Job. And he said, I've, I've not gone back from the commandments of, the, of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. God, help us, Lord. I pray that that could be said of every single one of us sitting in here. God, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to seek wisdom. God, Lord, you said if we'd pray for it, you'd give it to us. Lord, you give to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God, help us to cry aloud for it. We'll thank you for it. Bless these folks this week. God, give them a prosperous week. God, give us a good day on Sunday, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.